Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Patricia Booth. Patricia was named Senior Vice President of Trimbalink's Autonomy Operating Sector in 2019, where she is responsible for leading several businesses focused on deploying autonomy solutions. During her 21 years at Trimble, she has held a variety of leadership positions across various disciplines, including operations, marketing, and business leadership. Prior to joining Trimble, she held positions in product management, sales, and program account management. working in the semiconductor distribution application software and contract manufacturing industries most recently patty volunteered as executive sponsor for trimble's diversity equity and inclusion initiative where her advocacy launched trimble's new returnship program patty earned a bachelor of science degree in business from san jose state university she's a native californian who loves living now in colorado where she enjoys camping hiking skiing and playing golf in her spare time Hi Patricia, thank you so much for this opportunity to have this chat with you. We are so honored to have you here with us today. Well, thank you, Divya. I have to say that I feel quite privileged to be here today as well. I really feel uh, lucky and blessed to be invited to participate. And and I think this is going to help so many young ladies uh, with you know their direction, their thinking, and what they need to do. So let's get started. How was your childhood, and how was it like growing up, and where did you grow up? Okay, so uh, I was born in the San Jose Bay Area in California. I was raised in a very Catholic family. I'm still trying to figure out how that influenced and influences my life, but I would say that I'm a spiritual person. I believe in faith, even though I'm not perhaps a practicing Catholic. But um, my mother was the staunch Catholic in my family, and she actually passed away when I was young, when I was 12. And from that point on, uh, I was raised by my father, who never remarried, and my two older brothers. And I would say, uh, when I think about my childhood, I assume that I learned earlier than most to cook for my family, to clean the house. I took on a lot of parenting responsibilities. I would say I think that really shaped who I am today. So how was it growing up with two brothers? Because usually they say, you know, when you're the only girl between a couple of brothers, you become tough. <laughs> Is that true? My brothers are quite a bit older than me, so they're five and six years older than me. So we really didn't share a lot of experiences until I got older, maybe to the age of eighteen, nineteen, twenty. But what I do remember is because my father didn't know what to do with us. What he enjoyed were sports and athletics. And my brothers did too, and so I was just brought along on that journey. On weekends, we would go to the local universities and watch the football games, and uh, we had sports on TV all the time. And I don't think it was hard necessarily. It was just I think I was brought into this whole environment of being outdoors, being active. You know, we camped, we skied, um, all those kinds of things. It sounds so much fun as a kid, especially, <laughs> right? Yeah. So apart from your father, you just mentioned, you know, he kind of raised you all by himself from the mm-hmm. time you were 12. Anybody else who really was instrumental in shaping your life? Oh, absolutely. My cousin Linda. She's about I don't know, 25 years older than me or something like that. Um, no, probably not that old. 20 years. 20 years older than me. In the Catholic community, uh, a lot of people would will step in and help when families face hardships like mine did. So I had a lot of substitute mothers, I would say, but my cousin was the steadfast, recurring person in my life. Even today, we're quite close, and she's been a blend of 
sister, mother, cousin, and friend. And she's advised me throughout my life, uh, still does, advised me on my career. So she is a magnificent, remarkable A-type woman, put herself through college, always knew exactly what she wanted to do, which was to be a teacher. She taught uh, middle school and junior high school her entire life, and then became an independent businesswoman. She's just had unbelievable, limitless influence over my life. So fortunate to have somebody like that in your life. Mm-hmm. Growing up, how, how was your friend circle? And what was it that you were aspiring to do? You know, what, what kind of education were you looking for? What did you want to become? Yeah, um, good question. In high school, I was always a straight A student, even pre-high school. President of the class, uh, emceed our holiday shows at my elementary school, that that kind of thing. In high school, you know, I was good in engineering, or I was good in math, I was good in science, and it was just assumed at that time I would move into a career in engineering. It was just kind of a de facto, I guess. I would say, though, looking back now, I didn't really have a lot of guidance in my career. My school counselors did not provide a lot there. It was just family-oriented, and this assumed strength in science and math, go be an engineer. I never had a goal, I would say. I never had a career goal or a defined desire of what I wanted to do. It was just always, this makes logical sense, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. See, I grew up in India. For us, mm-hmm. when I was growing up, at least there were two mainstreams, engineering and medicine. So either you go biology or if you had to do anything with math or physics, you would go into engineering. There was no other third path. Yeah. So I completely yeah. get that. Now, looking back, do you think there was another profession you might have explored or another area of study that you would have been interested in? (laughs) What I didn't say before is that I launched into engineering uh, because I didn't know the difference between all these different disciplines and curriculum. I just ended up in electrical engineering. And, you know, to be very candid, it wasn't for me. I didn't like it. After a couple of years, I kind of looked around. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm like these people. Uh, It's not something I'm enjoying. And from there, I became, I'll be honest, a professional student for a while. I went and explored computer science because I still had that math and science overhang. Went into computer science, uh, thought about programming, becoming a software developer. And I really moved around for quite a while until I actually stopped school altogether for a bit and went out into the workforce. For various reasons, I ended up returning back to uh, the university went and pursued. I just got a marketing degree, bachelor's of uh, science marketing degree. And that enabled me, I think, to pursue a variety of opportunities. And uh, the course of my career, I've, I've experienced a number of different um, jobs in various industries. And now I tag myself as a generalist. But it's very interesting because that marketing degree, I think, can be a little bit deceptive for people because I do have an aptitude to understand science and math and engineering. So while I'm quite humble and I will say that I have a learning curve, I think that some of my colleagues, when they're uh, presented with the fact that I actually can understand and engage in conversations with them on a technical level, they're both a little bit surprised and impressed. And that serves me well, I think. That's great. So you're multi-talented, multifaceted. That's a great way to put it. I'm going to have to remember that. I have to put that in my uh, CV, Divya. (laughs) So you mentioned you did a couple of jobs in various industries. Mm -hmm. So I have two questions there. 
where did you start and how did that journey go? But before that, what was the most fun job you had? You know that I work at a company called Trimble today and I've been here for 21 years. So I have kind of this pre-Trimble life and a Trimble life. My journey actually began with my cousin, Linda. I said she had become an independent businesswoman. She lived in the Denver metro area. She was teaching middle school and she could not access school supplies. I'm talking about the art supplies you need or the workbooks that need to be reproduced or the decorations you put on your wall. So she saw this gap in this greater Denver area and she actually opened up a retail uh, educational teacher supply store. And that branched into four locations over the course of of, uh, many years. But um, I would come out to Denver and spend summers with her and I was started working in her stores. And that was my very first, I would say, real job. And her business continued to evolve, not to go into too much detail there, but connections through her evolving business led to my first role outside of her business, which was actually as a database administrator for a startup semiconductor distribution company. Wow. Yeah. So I, it's a long story and it would take forever and I could talk about it forever, but yeah, database administrator, the startup company needed to, needed a software package to run their business. And I had some skills uh, in it because my cousin used the same software package. So I helped them get kicked off. And at that semiconductor distribution company, I worked in that area for some time. And then I took on a junior product manager role in kind of the marketing team, but it was a very small team because it was a startup company. So please understand. (laughs) And um, I stayed there for many years. And then I went to a company called Borland International in Scotts Valley, California. And I took on an inside sales role. And I will say, I am not a sales professional, but I did that for two years. I learned a tremendous amount in that capacity. And I would say that had a lot of influence over who I am today as well. So I would say that that was my most fun experience pre-Trimble. And the reason is because at that point in time, Borland was on a huge growth curve and the people around me were some of the most high-performing group of people that I had experienced up to that point in time. So it was a very healthy competitiveness And yet you could look around and you knew these people are top notch. And so it was a really fantastic experience being part of that kind of team. So I would absolutely label that as kind of my biggest learning, my most exciting, the most fun, the most competitive, um, and the most challenging role that I'd had pre-Trimble. So at Trimble, what do you do now? And what do you think um, has led you to this point? What kind of qualifications? You have so many different kinds, you know. <laughs> so which specific one really helped you get here? So if somebody's wanting to do what you do today, yeah, where should they start? Yeah, interesting question, Divya. When I joined Trimble back in 2000, so I've been here for a little over 21 years, Trimble had just outsourced their internal manufacturing. They were kind of a late bloomer in the manufacturing space. At the time, I was working in contract manufacturing. So I went from this Borland company into contract manufacturing. And there's a story behind that too. There always is. But at the time, uh, Trimble had outsourced their manufacturing and things had kind of fallen apart. They didn't outsource very well. So they went out to the contract manufacturing industry and they hired people who were experienced. And that's how I got my 
uh, entree into Trimble. Now I've been here for 21 years. And when I joined in the year 2000, I never would have thought for even a moment that I would be joining a company for the next 21 years. I was in Silicon Valley. You change jobs every three to five years or you were considered stale. I mean, no way um, did I imagine I would still be here today. But it's been a tremendous, tremendous vehicle. Trimble has just, for the last couple of decades, it's been an enormous opportunity and we're quite a diversified company. So I've been able to experience a lot of different roles, serving several different industries. So I've had a lot of change over the years. So it's been like working for different companies, even though it's always been for the same. Today, I'm a senior vice president. I lead an operating unit that we call sectors. Um, I'm leading our autonomy sector. And while Trimble uh, serves multiple vertical industries, uh, namely agriculture, construction, and transportation, our autonomy sector is actually a horizontal operating unit. And we develop technology platforms that serve each of these verticals. So the beauty of the role that I have now, what makes it so exciting is first of all, What's cooler than autonomy? You know, the idea of cars floating around skyways or vehicles without people driving them anymore. I mean, this is all futuristic stuff, right? I mean, so it's really cool from that aspect. But internally, I'm also able to touch each one of our businesses and work with all of these vertical businesses and also all the people who populate those businesses. So I feel really lucky, and I'll use the word blessed again, to have the role that I have today. It's really special. No, that's wonderful. So if you had to kind of divide your career, right, in three different parts, how different are they? Very different. I would say that first third is all about education and learning. And I would say in that portion of my career, I worked very hard. And I mean, literally, I put in a lot of hours and I always did what I said I would do. And I established a reputation. Okay. And part of that reputation is credibility and that element of credibility and trust also, I think, carries one through their career, right? It's a necessary element or component of success, I believe. Absolutely. The second third is kind of about acceleration and application. So all of that education and learning that I did in that first portion of my career, now it's time to apply it. And then I accelerated my career. So in that first third, I learned and I worked in a variety of different roles. I didn't niche myself, so I didn't become pigeonholed, right? Uh, and then I applied all those learnings in a new set of roles and opportunities. And that's when I think I also really accelerated my career where I had multiple promotions in a relatively short period of time and, and that kind of thing. And then the third part of my career is the one that I feel that I'm in now, where I spend most of the time, if not all of the time, coaching, leading, mentoring in conversations, perhaps like this one, where I'm now starting to share my experiences. And if I can encourage others to learn from my learnings. So those, that's how I would break down the stages of career. And I oh, forgot right. if you had another question in there. <laughs> I, I know, like there, there's so many questions in my head, just on listening <laughs> to you. One that really stands out is, you know, right now you mentioned you're really uh, focused on mentoring and mm -hmm. you being a woman leader in a very male dominated kind of an industry. What are some of the things that um, you are looking forward to, to encourage more women, 
within your company in general in industries like this where i think we have so much to give we have a different perspective we have diverse experiences we bring to the yeah. table so how best can we contribute how would you mentor somebody there a very multi-layered i think multifaceted question i'm also the executive sponsor for our diversity equity and inclusion initiative at our company we launched formal programs about a year and a half ago I would say my first 12 months in that role was a tremendous learning for me. I had never categorized or labeled myself as an activist even though that's a bit of a strong word I suppose, but I've realized in the last few years in this stage of my career that notion of gender equality is really present in my female colleagues' minds. It's really top of mind in many ways. Uh my role my title allows me to be in a number of career panels and those kinds of conversations at my company and every single time I'm asked the question has being a woman ever affected your career has it slowed it or was there any ever any kind of not so positive impact of of my gender and I've always answered to my knowledge no you know <laughs> but um to get to your question of what am I looking to do I recognize that it is top of mind and I can also see that um there are not as many female executives in my company and not only at my company but others. And so if I can do something to help change that in this stage of my career, then that's what I want to do. So every time I'm asked to do something like this, I absolutely do it. <laughs> my biggest advice to people, to women in particular, is it's not very eloquent but to go for it. I think women need to go for it. Um I think we pause, I think we hesitate, I think sometimes fear can take over. You know, uh there's a all kinds of studies out there that indicate that men will go after a career opportunity before they feel they're entirely ready. Women it would appear wait until they are entirely ready or they have some degree of comfort that they've developed before they pursue call it that that gold ring and i would say don't wait for that that's the thing when i look back on my career what could i have done differently or what would i do differently i try and manage that fear factor you know even now i get into situations where i don't have a lot of confidence and i worry about it too much and the reality is If you go for a job that's out there that you're interested in and let's say you don't get it, okay, you're no worse off than you were when you started. But if you don't go for it at all, it's an absolute no, right? Yeah. And I bet if you express yourself, you go for that job or that opportunity the first time maybe you don't get it, go for it the second time maybe you don't get it. I bet by, you know, the third or the fourth you're going to get that opportunity. So, um simply always encourage people, actually man or woman, go for it. because what do you have to lose absolutely nothing it's so much easier to say than to do great advice and i i don't think we can hear enough of that every time you know somebody says that you get reinvigorated and one of my mentors had said once you know you know the saying third time is a charm he used to say nth time is a charm don't give up don't wait for one two three keep going until that end is hit and you succeed that's your charm number <laughs> well divya i doubt you've ever been um affected by those kinds of things because it seems to me that you've achieved every single thing you've gone after. I think you yourself are a great example of what we can become. 
Oh, thank you so much. That that means a lot coming from you. <laughs> Since we're on the topic of, you know, just going after things, one of the big things that people talk about is really have that network, you know, strong quality network, people who will stand by you, vouch for you, help you when you're down. What does networking mean to you? And how did you go about it? I would say that for much of my career, I was probably not a very good networker, to be honest. If I did engage in it, it was informal. It's interesting. So my view on the networking element is not so much go out and build your network because you're ambitious and you want to achieve a career goal. I think that's totally fine. My advice would be to look at it a little bit differently. Go go build a network because there is joy in understanding other people and knowing other people and in meeting other people. And there's so much you can learn through an informal relationship, right? I mean, I um, attend Colorado Tech Association webinars these days, and I learn so much just from listening uh, to the other people who are, are participating or the people who are on the panels. I just find a lot of satisfaction, and I'll use the word joy again, in just getting to know people now, much more so than I did earlier in my career. I mean, you and I are now part of a network, right? And uh, I think, like I already said, I think you're tremendously, you're, you're amazing and, and uh, remarkable. And, and I learn even from our conversations. So I haven't, again, established this huge network from a career ambition perspective, but more from a, just a societal and community perspective. That's what's meaningful for me. So you were born and brought up in California. Mm-hmm. Now you live in Denver. And then you moved a lot of different companies. You traveled quite a bit for your jobs. Has that really impacted your perspective on how you think and how you work? Yes, I would say. Um, You know, I grew up in California in the 70s and 80s, I guess. I did not have an environment where you went abroad, okay, like many countries do, um, where you go take a gap year and things like that. That just wasn't my environment. And maybe even back then, that wasn't all that just generally commonplace in the U.S., I did go abroad, a late bloomer in the abroad category, but in late 80s, uh, early 90s. And when I went abroad, my eyes opened. I went traveling in mainland China through Southeast Asia. I went into Nepal, experiencing other cultures firsthand, really opened my eyes to what a very sheltered existence I had had in the Bay Area and California. And I just developed, I think, a much deeper understanding of others, more patience, more tolerance and empathy, a little bit of realism that the world I grew up in was not perfect, as I was raised to kind of believe. So I've been able to bring that into, I think, my work life in trying to be more empathetic and understanding and and tolerant and patient and all of those kinds of things. In terms of mobility, you know, I moved out to Colorado about 18 years ago. California, I love it. It's hard to beat the climate there, but it can be costly, (laughs) expensive to live. And I came out to Colorado for a new start and the environment here, the outdoors activity, the community here, it really resonates with me. You know, I described my childhood and I love it here and I probably will never leave. This will always be home base for me here in Colorado. Yeah, I think your main formative years were in the best part. Denver has like so much to offer. (laughs) Did you ever seek out a mentor? Well, I never consciously sought a mentor, 
but, you know, I mentioned my cousin, Linda, so she and her husband were mentors for me through much of my life and still are, you know, in many ways, but over the course of my career, I've had different mentors. A lot of them have been my direct manager at the time, but as I moved on, those former mentors continued in a relationship with them. And I would say that I have a variety of mentors, not just one. I go to my different relationships and my different contacts for different reasons. You know, I I talk to them about different things and I still have those today. So advisors and counselors, um, you know, I even seek advice, uh, you know, from people who report to me. I I think there, any kind of mentoring relationship, whether formal or informal is two ways. You know, you can never stop learning. You can never stop being curious, but uh, I've received a lot of advice and different advice and constructive criticism from these uh, folks over the years. You mentioned constructive criticism, right? Mm -hmm. I heard this uh, not once, but multiple times that women take constructive criticism as just criticism. They take the constructive part out of that. What do you think? Like, how, how can we really take it in the right spirit? I'm probably one of those who takes it as criticism. Uh, I just spoke to someone this morning. I got some feedback on something I can do better. And I thought, okay, my initial reaction was a little bit emotional, a little bit defensive, but then my logic takes over and I'm like, let's be curious. Maybe there's legitimacy in this feedback. So my responsibility is to go out and look into it and um, see why and how these people are feeling this way um, and then process it right? Yeah. Any naysayers along the way in all these years? Um, I don't think I had any outright naysayers. So when I hear that word, I think, was there someone who's, whoever told me you can't do that? I don't know if I'm lucky or not, but no, I've never had anyone say that to me. Having said that, I've certainly faced adversity. Even, you know, I've had some competitive situations. I've felt that I had uh, managers who weren't totally transparent with me, like my performance wasn't up to snuff and they didn't tell me. And I kind of found out accidentally that I was being observed that way, you know, those kinds of things. And what I've learned through those, they happen to everyone through the course of their career, you know, try and learn from each one of those. I, I learned you're not alone, that there are other people out there who are facing adversity that there are other people you can talk to and advise you on what to do. Just learn from it and move on. Uh, a lot of times when I'm facing situations, uh, they might be an hour long presentation, or maybe they're just a several month long period. I always tell myself, this is only an hour of my life. This is only a month of my life. I will get through it. I'll come out the other end and I'll be okay. Right. And then it's in the past. Yeah, once done, it's done. Yeah, what does it matter? During all of this time, were there some core values that you really held close and that have really helped you guide through difficult situations? Yeah, so I wouldn't say that I I defined I'm going to ascribe to these values, but they define who I am, my authentic self, I would say. Integrity, honesty, these are um, imperative, I think right? You can't compromise your ethics at all. And you have to be honest and truthful and admit when you've made a mistake or, I mean, the power of saying, I'm sorry, or I was wrong is just tremendous, right? And I I think that in general, people don't say that enough in the workplace or through their career. 
But I would say, you know, integrity, honesty. There's also an element of doing the right thing, which you can, you know, you can, you can correlate that to integrity. But for me, I think it's very easy for people to know what's right and what's wrong. Sometimes it's harder to do the right thing, but you have to do that. And it also surprises me that people sometimes choose the opposite. You always have to do that right thing. And then the other thing that I've learned as I moved into more senior leadership roles, I'm giving four things, I guess, but I don't know if these are values, but they're things that I kind of live by. Often when I'm faced with a decision, I'll ask myself two different things, kind of difficult decisions, right? The first one is, how do I want to be remembered? So, you know, it's kind of like, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but when I'm on my deathbed, I'm looking back over my life. Do I want to be remembered as the person who said no to this request? And if my answer is no, I don't want to be remembered that way, then I say yes. <laughs> and the other question I ask myself all the time, and I really do ask myself, can I sleep at night with this decision? If I can sleep at night, I'm comfortable with that. And I have no regrets. If I can't sleep at night, then I've made the wrong decision. And uh, so I would say, you know, in some integrity and honesty, you know, doing the right thing. How do you want to be remembered? And can you sleep at night? That's really what I live by in my career. Yeah, very simple, very clear. I live by the last one for sure. I cannot <laughs> let anything disturb my sleep. I make sure I wrap up all the loose ends for the day and I sleep peacefully. Mm -hmm. You love gardening and you have a vegetable garden. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So how did you get into gardening and what gives you joy? Yeah, it's funny uh, that you remembered that. First of all, my cousin, who I mentioned over and over again, and that just uh, tells you what an influence she's been on my life. She and her husband always had a tremendous vegetable garden. And I've lived with them on off and on over the course of my life. Um, so I was always exposed to this. When I purchased my, uh, my, my home, my home here in Colorado, I'm lucky enough to have a large enough backyard where I have uh, three garden boxes, raised garden boxes back there. Um, and every year it's a full weekend of work to get this garden planted. But where you're going, I think, is it's not so much the yield that comes out of that garden. It's not so much the fact that we can pull our own lettuce or eat the zucchini we grew. There's something about the growing process that I really enjoy. I go out every morning, even this morning, I did to see um, how much has grown, you know, since yesterday. <laughs> and it's amazing what a little bit of water and sun can do. But I really just like the growing process. I end up with way more than we can possibly consume in our house. And just like probably every office or, or uh, environment across the land, there's all kinds of bags of tomatoes and zucchini and all this stuff laying around that you have to give away by the end of the summer. But there's something about that um, growing process that I really, really enjoy. And if I correlate that to work where I am now, my biggest satisfaction comes from when I see people flourish. And when I see them making a difference and having a positive impact and growing in their own career, I, I really do believe that being a leader or a manager, it's all about how you enable your team for success, whatever those success definitions or metrics are. It's really, that's, that is truly where I get my joy these days. That's a great sign of a great leader. <laughs>
I hope to be someday. <laughs> I think you are. You came with such high recommendations. Everybody speaks so highly of you. Mm. So I, I think you're already there. So in terms of women at work, are there certain qualities that you think, um, just looking at everybody around you and just having gone through this whole career journey yourself, mm. things that we should try to you know, develop within ourselves and things that we should try to stay away from? What I believe, when I look back at my career, I had a difficult time in certain periods maintaining what I would call balance. Um, And I don't know if it was how I was raised. I don't know if it was the pressure just in the work environment at the time. But there have been times while I've said I've worked hard, there have been times when I've worked too hard and I've worked too much. And I think at the time, I felt that I really needed to do that. But when I look back, I don't think I did. I don't think I needed to make quite as many sacrifices as I did. That would be my advice to women who I suspect feel in large part challenged with the work-life balance. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Maybe it's the luxury of position today. I'm not sure. But the reality is whatever I don't get done at work today will still be there tomorrow. And I would say that for all the people who report to me and all the people in the company, all the women in the company too. You don't get something done today. It's very unlikely that in a job evaluation or in a consideration for a career move that someone's going to say, oh, they didn't get that done by that deadline, you know, therefore they're not qualified. That's not what it's about. So I would say do what's right for yourself personally and professionally and try and maintain that balance as best you can. Don't be too much of a martyr, if you understand what I mean, Divya. If you had to live your life all over again, anything you would do differently? If I could. So first of all, uh, you know, we've talked about different things we might talk about in this uh, conversation. And I kind of thought, oh, you know, I don't want to talk about regrets because I think that's bad because it's in the past. You have to look forward. But I would also say that, okay, it's not necessarily about regrets. You know, what would I do differently? I would try and manage that fear factor a little bit. I would try and be more confident. I would, while I'm encouraging people go for it, I can't say that I've gone for it every single time in my career. That's something I've learned now. So I wish I had done that. It doesn't mean you have to be aggressive, right? It doesn't mean that you have to be someone, it does, doesn't mean you have to be inauthentic. The bottom line is we have one life. Chase those things that are interesting to you. Don't have a life full, you know, avoid a life of regrets by going after it. You brought up such a great point. You know, we don't have to be aggressive. I think people mistake aggressive for assertive. Like you have to be assertive, you know, Mm -hmm. stand for what you believe in and be very vocal about it because nobody can look into your head to know what you're thinking. So be assertive. But yeah, yeah, for some reason, women think being assertive is aggressive and we don't want to look aggressive. So kind of hold ourselves back. Yeah. Well, you know, I totally agree with you. And I wouldn't say that that's only um, the women who see it that way. I think there is, there can be a tendency for men to see assertive women as aggressive, but, you know, face that head on. I, I believe that's truly the minority of people in the world and the world is changing. It's changing rapidly these days. Um, there's more opportunity for women than there ever has been. What I try and appeal to now, and one of the reasons why I really enjoy this conversation, Divya, is I think we need to appeal to a younger generation. It doesn't need to be elementary school or middle school. When I think about the college hires coming into our organization, I want to appeal to them, right? And I think back to 
there was a podcast that President Obama was on sometime during the election period, and I'm not going to go political, but he was appealing to a younger generation. And he was saying, you know, you are the agents of change. It's not me, right? And it's not me. And I don't think it's the people who directly report to me. It's the people who are coming into the organization today who are the agents of change. And there's tremendous opportunity for that generation. And I think they need to go after it as much as they can. And that's what I want to encourage. Yeah, no, thank you. I I have two daughters in college, so I completely get that. And I think selfishly for me, this podcast is a way of getting to that generation, getting all of this great Mm -hmm. advice from leaders like you to them when they have time and when when they have the aptitude to go listen. So they can really learn so much. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. all of these great experiences are kind of lost. And I think it's interesting in my... um, role today. Uh, my, I have a 16-year-old nephew and a 21-year-old niece who live with me now. I ask them a lot of questions. How do you feel about this? And how do you feel about that? Because I'm out of touch. <laughs> and I want to hear and understand how they perceive the world. And I talk to them about work. And, you know, I ask them about DEI. And I ask them, you know, how they view things. And I really do try and apply that uh, here at work in my own environment, my own context. I think that's diversity at its best because they have perspective and different ideas and they come from different era completely than us. Great minds that not a lot of people tap into. Yeah, no, I will ask them how they think about something. And they're like, why is that even bothering you? And they walk away, you know, and I'm like, okay. And it makes, I have to sit back and think, why is it bothering me? You know, those kinds of things. We all have our biases, I guess, right? And they they help keep me honest on that, I think. So in closing, any final comments for our listeners? You have one life. You need to chase what you want to do. Don't don't be held back by anyone or anything if you can avoid it. I guess the, the additional thing I would say is I got caught up early in my career, a mode of kind of what was expected of me, this assumed strength or skill that I had. I wish I had explored a little bit more and learned earlier what I really enjoyed. Because if you can get engaged in a career that you enjoy, you will most likely excel. The two things are very connected. And uh, it just took me a while to realize that. So that's what I would say is get out there, explore, be curious. You don't have to be set in one course your entire life or have one path pursue what you really enjoy. Thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure chatting with you and really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Divya. It was a real pleasure um, chatting with you. I'm again, very impressed with everything you've accomplished. And if you ever feel like being the interviewee, I will be more than happy to volunteer as the interviewer, because I think you have a lot to share yourself. Thank you. I'll take you up on that. (laughs) Sure. Thank you.